hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I'm the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen this week, the download, a view, wherever it is that you are, we appreciate that you're here. Going vegan, not just good for you, it's also good for the environment. Just how good might amaze you. With Earth Day right around the corner, that's what we're going to be talking about on this week's episode of The Exam Room, as I'm joined by Dr. Neil Barnard. Our question to you is this, what if the entire world went vegan? Some of the world's leading scientists have been taking a close look at the connection between diet and climate change, and they've been trying to come up with an answer to that question. These are people much, much, much smarter than I am. We're going to be getting into their research in great detail in just a little bit, but I, I wanted to throw some numbers out there right now. These are from a 2016 study. They found that if everyone on Earth went vegan by the year 2050, and keep in mind that the population about that time should be around 10 billion according to UN projections. So if all 10 billion of them were eating a plant-based diet, millions of deaths could be prevented. Food-related greenhouse gas emissions could be slashed by 70%. And get this, an estimated $1 trillion could be saved in healthcare costs. That's trillion with a T. Keep that in mind as the cost of getting sick continues to climb ever higher. And this is something that we really often don't think about either. But the enormous amount of land that is required to produce the food that we eat would also be cut drastically. And as you'll hear Dr. Barnard explain, if America turned to beans instead of beef, we could reduce those land requirements by more than 40%. That's a huge amount of land. And we haven't even touched on alleviating hunger or water conservation yet. We're going to be getting into that, but I can tell you that it takes an insane amount of water just to produce a single pound of ground beef. And when you hear that number, how much water it actually takes, you're going to do a double take. Certainly a lot to get into with Dr. Barnard on the show, but we also have a very special guest in Gwen Whitaker. She's a near and dear friend of mine who's devoted her life to increasing awareness about the benefits of a plant-based diet. You know, her life's trajectory has completely changed after the sudden loss of her fiancé to a heart attack. And now she's working tirelessly to help others avoid experiencing that same anguish. Gwen now has a whole food plant-based restaurant in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., where she and her staff not only will gladly serve you a delicious meal, but they'll also help you through the Physicians Committee's 21-day vegan kickstart program. They do all the cooking. You just have to be dedicated and willing to change. And hundreds of people already have made that change. It's incredible what she's doing out there. So many have gone from couch potatoes to marathoners, and they're now living their best life. Such a touching story you're not going to want to miss, but we start right now with Dr. Neil Barnard as he and I sit down to try to answer the question, what if the whole world went vegan? This is the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. I'm so excited for this week's episode because we are tackling a very important topic, but also one that we haven't touched on to date on this show. 
and that is the effect that a plant-based diet can have on the environment. And with that, we welcome to the program Dr. Neil Barnard. Welcome back. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be back with you. I had no idea until... I mean, I started working here that there was such a correlation between what we eat and the environment. We always think that it's our cars and sitting in traffic and factories that are responsible for 100% of the greenhouse gas emissions, but that is not the case. You know, the, the food choices that people make have an enormous impact on the environment in so many ways. And if you don't mind, actually, let me, let me, let me take you with me to where I grew up. Let's go. I, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota. Okay. And when I go out there and visit, I'm always amazed. Um, right outside of town, it's acre after acre after acre of corn. Mm. And it's beautiful. You know, every corn stalk is identical. Um, and it's as far as the eye can see in these beautiful artistic rows. But then it hits you, wait a minute. First of all, the reason they're identical is because they're genetically engineered. And the second thing is that no human being is going to touch one ear of that corn. It's all cattle feed or chicken feed or feed for hogs. So an enormous amount of, of corn um, is grown just to feed animals, not to feed people. And on the other side of the, the highway, you'll see soybeans. As far as the eye can see, and nobody is making tofu out of that. That's genetically engineered soy for animal feed. Here's the problem. You've got to irrigate it. Um, so it takes a whole lot of water. You have to fertilize it, so it's a lot of nitrogen going into it. And then the uh, and pesticides and herbicides are used as well. So as it's irrigated, then the nitrogen trickles off the fields into the little streams. Mm-hmm. And the pesticides and fertilizer starts washing downstream. And it, in, in that neck of the woods, some of it goes up toward Canada. Some, some of it in North Dakota ends up in the Missouri River and then the Mississippi River. And as it accumulates from all the other streams and rivers going into the Mississippi, you have this huge overgrowth of algae growing because of all the fertilizers going into the water. Wow. The algae then die off and end up destroying uh, life forms in the water. And the whole system flushes out just like a toilet underneath Texas and Louisiana. And there is a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico as big as the state of New Jersey. Um, dead because of the overuse of fertilizer that has caused this overgrowth of algae that then then dies out. Um, And environmentalists have known this is a huge problem. It starts with that ear of corn that was there to to feed a cow or feed a chicken, and it required fertilizer and and irrigation and pesticides. That is quite the trickle-down effect. That is staggering. it's, It's staggering, and you think, okay, what if... I wasn't eating, uh, what, what if I'm not eating chickens or pigs or, 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 or cows or whatever? You still got to eat. Right. But you're eating the plants directly instead of feeding all that corn to a cow and then eating the tiny bit of food that comes out. And I have to say, I've concluded that if you are not, an, if you are not following a vegan diet, you're not an environmentalist. Mm. You are just not. And, and I'm not the first person to have said this. Um, Francis Moore LePay wrote a half a century ago in Diet for a Small Planet, the idea that if people would eat plants directly, we'd need a whole lot fewer plants yeah. um, than if you feed them to animals. And that means less irrigation, less fertilizer, less pesticides, a much cleaner uh, planet. And not to mention the fact that then you could feed more people. 
much if you wanted to. Absolutely. We're going to touch on that in just a second. Um, I'm a numbers guy. I love numbers. I love to be able to quantify things. So there was this big report that was published in The Lancet earlier this year, and they said that those researchers, very, very smart people, much smarter than I, uh, said that 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions can be attributed directly to food production. Yes. That's a third. That That's a pretty high amount. And you were also talking about the amount of water that's used in these fields for irrigation. They also stated that it, it takes 1,800 gallons of water to produce just one pound, one pound of beef. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And it's not that the cow is drinking that much water. To an extent they do, but much of it is how much water you have to apply to all the fields to grow the, the, the corn or other feed grains that go into their bodies. Mm. Um, and the same is true with chicken, I have to say. Um, the numbers are, are slightly different, but chickens are not ordering room service. They're eating feed grains that were grown with irrigation and fertilizer and so forth. So, so uh, if you're a, a poultry eater, you're part of the environmental problem. Uh, think about this. You go to McDonald's, people will order the quarter pounder. Given those numbers that we just talked about, 1,800 gallons roughly for one pound of beef, that's 450 gallons of water it would take for one quarter pounder. Think about going to the grocery store and going down the water aisle and seeing 450 gallon jugs of water. Right. That is a lot of water. It, it sure is. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of pesticides. It's a lot of fertilizer. And it is, it is hurting this, uh, the earth. Um, the report that you were talking about, yeah. it appeared it, it, they pulled together a commission called the EAT, EAT Lancet Commission. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they came up with several different different findings. Um, not only are, could you save the environment, but you could also save lives if people would go toward a plant-based diet. They felt that um, that increasing your plant consumption could could prevent about 11 million premature deaths every year. Wow. Um, and not that we're all going to live forever. Nobody's going to live forever. But what we can do is cut out the premature deaths from cardiovascular disease, from malignancies that are linked to food. Uh, and if people say, well, I'll take my chances, you may feel that way. But think about your loved ones. Right. Um, what we feed them affects their chances, too. That's a really, really good point. A very good point. And especially when you're talking about parents of young children, we've talked about studies on this show that um, – really demonstrate the importance of developing strong, healthy eating habits at a young age, which then carry them throughout the lifetime, and then greatly or significantly reduce those risks of heart disease, high cholesterol, hypertension, all of that stuff. Yes. So that's that's actually a really, really good point um, that you made. I, I want to go back. You were talking about as far as the eye could see in, in North Dakota with these agricultural fields. This report that we're talking about here uh, stated that Agriculture occupies 40% of the Earth's ice-free land mass. Mm -hmm. So of all the land, 40% of it goes to agriculture. That's almost half. That's right. And I guess people are really familiar with it in South America or Central America where they hear about whole tracts of land being bulldozed down so that they can can raise crops to feed uh, the cows or or other animals Mm -hmm. uh, for meat because there's a growing appetite for meat. Um, But it's it's not true only there. It's true in North America. And if you imagine, what would it mean? What if people actually went to a plant-based diet, um, as so many people are doing? But if I could wave a magic wand and have everybody do that, the amount of land mass you would need for agriculture would be just a fraction of what it is now because you're not feeding all of those crops to animals. It's just amazing how all of that stuff kind of ties together. The health, the land, the environment, all of it, really. I mean, it's 
it's kind of a I hate to sound biased here. That's not what I'm trying to do with this show. But really, I mean, it sounds kind of like a, a can't miss thing to me. Well, you know, you mentioned bias. It's, you know, when when people were studying tobacco, they didn't want to be biased initially back in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. Say, I want to give tobacco an honest test. Does it cause lung cancer or bladder cancer or, or emphysema and so forth? But there comes a point when you realize the evidence is really so enormously strong. And I think people legitimately debated whether um, agriculture was affecting the environment mm-hmm. up until some years ago when it became absolutely incontrovertible. Right. Um, people debated uh, would diet affect your heart? Would it affect cancer risk? Until it became obvious. Right. So at this point, there isn't anybody who is looking sensibly at the evidence who can't conclude that a plant-based diet really will save lives. It really will help the environment. It really is the best choice. We've we've said greenhouse gas emissions. We've said same save the environment, but we haven't touched on two very critically important words that go along with that, and those words are climate change. And I'm just hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about the direct impact that these greenhouse gases would have then if we reduce them on slowing down climate change. Yes, well, that would happen. And right now, we've got a long way to go. And if you took all the cows that are in North America, you put them on one side of a balance, and you put all the people on the other side of the (laughs) balance, you know, each cow, there's maybe... 90 million of them, something like that in the United States. But each one is as big as a sofa. Mm. Um, And so the mass of cows is bigger than the mass of people. And each cow is belching out methane. Um, By the way, for people who are wondering which end of the cow it goes at, out of it's it's coming out their mouth it's they they are ruminating and they're they're they belch out methane and they put out a lot of it wow so imagine uh if you have a glass of milk that came from a dairy that dairy doesn't have two or three cows on it it's an enormous operation for sure and it is a methane factory if you had a a a steak um that didn't come from some cow who happened to get hit by a car somewhere that came from a factory that is producing methane and there are factories they call them factory farms. They're all over the United States producing methane. If we could shut that down by deciding, I want the plant-based choice, you're shutting down this enormous source of greenhouse gas production. Methane, like carbon dioxide and others, is a greenhouse gas. The difference is that methane is far more potent. Right, right. And it's coming out of animal agriculture. It's not the only source. Um, to raise all of those feed grains, of course, you need tractors and you, you need fossil fuels to grow the the feed that you're giving to the animals and so forth. So there are many, many other ways that animal agriculture contributes, but just the belching of methane alone, if if nothing else, is a very, very significant source. Well, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up maybe and play devil's advocate here. I think that a skeptic then would say there's no way that a cow's burp could attribute so much or contribute so much to the erosion of, of the environment. But you're, you're citing cold, hard facts here. At this point, there is no question about it. Um, this has been reviewed over and over and over again. And I don't think that there is anybody now who seriously looks at the environmental science and isn't quite convinced that, A, methane, yes, it is a greenhouse gas. It is produced in enormous quantities. And animal agriculture is a bigger contributor to it than cars and trains and airplanes and transportation in general. Mm -hmm. There are other contributors, but animal agriculture is, number one, an enormous contributor, and number two, it's one that you can control. You can control it in your own life. You don't have to wait for a factory to cap its smokestacks. Um, It's something you can decide tomorrow morning. 
The other portion of this study that I've really liked, and we're going to link off to this on PCRM.org slash podcast. I highly encourage you, if you're hearing this, to go and check this out and read it for yourself. It's very, very well done. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the environment. We've talked uh, about saving lives, but really, it would also help reduce hunger in a pretty substantial way as well. I think that the uh, uh, the researchers here concluded that two-thirds of soybeans, maize, barley, and uh, about a third of all grains are used to feed animals instead of going to people. Right. If you took up all the grains, it's about a third of them. They go not for humans, but for animals. And then uh, as a result of that, you get a tiny little bit of meat out of the slaughterhouse. Um, and for soy and corn and barley, as you said, it was two-thirds of them. Mm. And this is this is my North Dakota uh, upbringing. Is you, you look at all <laughs> the corn and all the soy, it's gorgeous, and you're never going to touch any of it. Um, and you, you have to feed a massive amount to the animals day after day after day to get this little pittance of meat that people crave. Um, if we stop doing that, you have all that acreage. You have plants that can feed human beings directly. And hunger would be gone overnight. Hmm. Um, it, it, it's something that we could change. Now, of course, there are, there are other issues of distribution and politics and wartime that, that are not part of this equation. But there is no reason to be raising all of this wonderful food and then wasting it. Um, in animal agriculture. There's another study that was released in 2016 that also looked at the co-benefits of dietary changes, looking at health and the environment. Um, and these guys, they went all in. I mean, God, God bless them. They looked at what would happen if the entire world went vegan by 2050. And one of the things that I found particularly interesting was just how much they estimate we would save in health care costs. That was an amazing amount. To yeah, make. well, they're look, you're, you're talking about a trillion bucks. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I have to say, as huge as that sounds, to any doctor, that's not a surprise. Because you look at who walks in your door, and the vast majority of people have a weight issue, diabetes, high cholesterol levels, high, high blood pressure, for whom the driver is food. Mm -hmm. So if we take that out, and we're left with just the effects of genetics or bad luck, you're talking about the majority of our healthcare expenditures being erased. Mm. Now, we're not going to get to an entirely plant-based population for some time, but there's no reason why we can't, can't move in that direction now. So if we are spending literally trillions of dollars every year now in healthcare, it is a very easy calculation to assume that we could knock one of those trillions out. If mm. we could wave, wave a magic wand and have actually people eat in a sensible way. A generation ago, that's where we were with tobacco. Right. We were wasting so much time and effort on, uh, and money on tobacco-related diseases, and the answer was to, to throw the cigarettes away, um, as I did, and yeah. a lot of other people did, you and, me both, um, and, and, and some have not. But that's where we are now with food. Um, it has become so incredibly expensive. Every Lipitor prescription, all of the commercials on TV for all of these things, that's all paid for. Um, it's in, in an unnecessary expense. It's 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 really just kind of just so remarkable remarkable to me, as I said at the top of the show, how all of this is just kind of interconnected and woven together, and one benefits the other and and the other, and then you know then you get healthy and there's not dead zones in in the Gulf of Mexico, and you know we're greatly cutting down greenhouse gas emissions. Um, it's it's just. It, yeah. Fascinating. I want to tell you something, though, Chuck. Yeah. Um, I find that different people find their own doorway in. Mm -hmm. um, in our research studies here, we see people who, who follow a plant-based diet because they want to get healthy. 
they got diabetes or a weight problem, and so they joined a research study. Um, as they're getting healthy and as they're changing their diets and their tastes are starting to change and their eyes are starting to open up, about week four or five of the research studies, sometimes people will say, it just hit me. People eat a lot of animals, don't they? <laughs> and, and so they're, they're there for health, but their heart starts to say, you know, I'm glad that I'm not contributing to cruelty. Um, or along the lines, they'll say, I just saw this documentary about the environment, and I just realized that I'm not part of that problem anymore. Right, right. Um, so whichever door people walk into, those other doors start to open up too. A lot of people have become um, – uh, they followed, started following a plant-based diet um, because their heart breaks for animals. Right. But then as, along the line, they realize, I'm not eating them. But that choice is helping this, this earth that we're, that, that we're walking on or, or this uh, is going to help my health as well. What was it that got you interested? Was it the the health benefits? It was uh, a slightly different thing. In fact, I might have told you the story before, Chuck. I'm not sure. I was working at a hospital the year before I went to medical school, and I was the autopsy assistant, and which meant that I had to prepare the bodies for autopsy as the pathologist would then determine why somebody died. And at the end of one of these exams, the pathologist had left the room, and I had to clean everything up. And here was a man whose organs had all been taken out and weighed and examined, and, and I had to put them back in the body. And, and the last thing to go in was the big s- section of ribs that the pathologist had cut out so he could examine the heart. So I put the ribs – I know this sounds cheerful, doesn't it? Uh, so, anyway. <laughs> We've had more pleasant conversations. <laughs> so, so anyway, I put the, the organs back in, in the body. I put the big chunk of ribs back into the chest, and I sewed the skin up, washed everything up, put the body in the cooler. I went up to the cafeteria when I was done. And they were serving ribs for lunch. Oh. And I want to tell you, it looked like a dead body. And it smelled like a dead body. And I realized, wait a minute, this is a dead body. And so I don't know if you'd call that ethical or health or whatever, but it, I, I, I didn't become a, ve- a vegetarian on the spot. But I couldn't eat that. I just couldn't. And as time went on, it, it, the connection between what kills us and what we eat became stronger and stronger. In fact, the pathologist kind of encouraged it. They, I mean, here was a dead body in front of us during the exams, and this was day after day. And the, the pathologist would slice open a coronary artery of the, of the heart. Mm. They, knew I, they knew I was headed for medical school. Right, right. So they would say, look, Neil, um, look, at, look inside this coronary artery. It's, it's all blocked up. That, that's your bacon and eggs, Neil. And they would point out how the food choices these people had made had killed them. Even back, even back then, not not to date you, not to date you, mind you. <laughs> yeah, he, yes, even back then, um, and and yet yeah, we we knew about cholesterol and we knew about saturated fat, just as people know about it today. But it's a question of the fact that is it immediate enough for people to take action? For me, um, doing these examinations and having gloves on, being able to feel a coronary artery and feel the calcium deposits that was it was like hard like concrete. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> you made you made you want to change your diet. It, it was kind of like when you'd see a smoker's lung all black. Oh, you'd man. think, all right, you know, a cigarette is, has just lost its appeal. Yeah, for me, and and that's the way it was for me. And then after that, I started to learn about the animal side of this. Right, and I started to learn more about, the, frankly, the, the the health issues are more complex and more and and much broader than I had imagined. And then the environmental part was really starting to take off at that time, too. So there was, there was no reason not to adopt a completely plant-based diet. And it took me a little time to get there, but, man, am I glad I did. Absolutely. And I, there are a lot of people out there that are glad that you did, and now they're glad that they did as well. So good, good stuff. Dr. Neil Barnard, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Chuck. 
I used to think that going plant-based was a one-two powerful punch. You improve your health, and you help prevent animal suffering. But as I'm on this journey, I'm learning that there is so much more to it. As Dr. Barnard stated, ditching meat and dairy can help save lives, alleviate hunger, reduce the impact of climate change, save water, and minimize the need for so much land to produce all that food. I really, really, really recommend that you check out his blog, where he outlines all of those things. We've linked off to it at pcrm.org slash podcast, and I gotta tell you, I love the title of this blog, How Eating More Plants Can Save Lives and the Planet. If your interest has been piqued, I guarantee, my friend, it is a must-read. You can also find a link there to the full report that we were referencing that was published in The Lancet. That's a good read, too. You're probably going to need a good couple hours to pour through that. There's a lot of material in there. Start with the blog. See where the report takes you. Next up in the exam room, the touching story of Gwen Whitaker. After losing her fiancé to a heart attack, Gwen could have simply decided to shut out the world and spend the rest of her days locked away in the isolation of a dark room. But that's not who Gwen is. Her mission in life became helping others avoid the same heartbreak. And so, with a lucrative career in national intelligence and IT behind her, she is now singing the praises of a plant-based diet to anyone who will listen. And she's improving the health of so many now through her efforts and her restaurant. People there, they come in for good food and they get so much more than that. They get an education. It's like a library in there. So many good books, so many good presentations they have. All of them helping to show the toll that the food that we've been eating our entire lives, what kind of toll that takes on our bodies. Gwen is an educator, she is a motivator, she is a philanthropist, she's an amazing human being. And it's my honor to welcome her to the exam room. Next up in the exam room podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee is the founder and CEO of the educational restaurant Green Fair Cafe in beautiful Reston, Virginia, not far from the Physicians Committee headquarters. We welcome Gwen Whitaker to the show. Welcome, Gwen. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Well, first of all, thank you, because you are a true friend to not just this podcast, but certainly the organization as a whole. So really, my hat is off to you. It's, it's been awesome having PCRM's materials to uh, work with and leverage as they were sort of the groundbreaker for the activity that we're doing now. We clearly leverage everything that they're doing. We're, we're going to talk about uh, everything that you are doing out at the restaurant in just a second, but I, I wanted to talk to you and get your story. Everybody that comes in here and sits in that chair where you are now, they all have a story to tell. Everybody on this earth has a story to tell, and I love being told a story. Absolutely. So let's, let's get your story. <laughs> um, I'm assuming, I mean, obviously you are 1,000% committed to plant-based right now. Uh-huh. I'm assuming that was not necessarily the case for you growing up. So I had a journey um, that started probably in my teens when I associated um, eating meat with animals that I love. So I stopped eating red meat probably when I was 11 or 12 Mm -hmm. and stopped poultry in my 20s. And up until maybe 10 years ago, I had relied on fish and some dairy because I thought you needed protein and calcium um, as part of your diet. So 
um, it's been a transition. And as I read something, then I would change. Um, I remember being in a, a bookstore in San Diego and pulling a book off the shelf that was entitled The Ethics of Food Choices. <laughs> and, of course, I opened right to fish and um, seafood and read probably four or five pages, closed the book, and I'm done with seafood. So it was more around uh, industrial practices, that it doesn't matter whether it's uh, wild-caught or farmed, that the environmental devastation uh, was serious. And so I decided to opt out of those industries. And then uh, a number of years later, after I watched the Forks Over Knives and recognized sort of the myths that I had been taught growing up that you need protein and calcium from animal products, that it sort of reinforced my intuitive aspects, that those were things that I never really liked to eat, but I thought that they were essential. And so changing that, um, it made it very easy for me to step away from those things. That's really interesting. You're uh, you're in the minority of people who have been on the show. Most people, uh, when they have a gradual changeover, it's it's even much quicker than the lifetime that it took you or okay. the, the the many years. A lot of people go overnight, but for you, it was like you know an awakening this day, and a little bit more awakened on this day. Flash forward a few more years. Oh, here's another little piece of information. Let me change a little bit more, and then eventually yeah. that led you to where you are here. It's definitely an evolution, I think, for, for me. You know, as I got more information, then I would change my behavior. And so it was being sort of conscious of the impact of my actions, either on the environment, other animals, and then finally on myself. Mm-hmm. And it was still not until what I'm doing now, I didn't real, realize the impact of the food that you eat on your physical health. Right. You know, it just seemed like it was you eat food and you exist, sure, right? Sure, sure. So that was um, an awakening. We hear a lot about these people who have these amazing medical transformations after adopting the plant-based diet, and a lot of that is facilitated by the fact that they were giving this really grim diagnosis from a doctor. Did you have, if you're comfortable talking about it, yeah. were there any health scares or even hypertension or anything like that for you? Um, not not for myself, but I, I lost, I was engaged uh, nine years ago okay. um, to be married, and my um, partner was um, a Navy captain. He was vice president of Gartner uh, Services. And on the way home from work one day, I was talking with him on the phone. I was on my, in my car headed home. And he said, I feel dizzy and dropped off the line. And I called 911. Um, expecting that something had happened to him and got my neighbors and by the time I had gotten there he had basically passed mm. so it was a sudden heart attack and his dad had died of a heart attack earlier and his mother after that they were from South Carolina and everything was barbecued and fried of course and I think at the time I still thought that it was genetic based and um, didn't associate it with food and so Years later, after I'd, um, I'd been in the intelligence community for a long number of years, focused in that space, after I sold my company and watched Forks Over Knives, I was in a position to really do a deep dive and explore uh, more education around nutrition and uh, learn from some of, the, some of the greats in that space, Colin Campbell and Neil Barnard, and really um, associate what you ate with 
how you think, how you feel, how you look, your energy level, all these aspects that I had always sort of taken for granted. And as I um, moved further down the path of health, more into a whole food plant-based diet, then personally I started to recover things like so I'm, I'm 61. I don't. I know a lot, a lot of women don't like giving that. I know uh, that's, that that's away. rather bold of you. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I feel better than I do. Uh, I feel better now than I did it at 40. Um, you know, felt like at 40 I started to feel a- aging, the onset of aging. Mm-hmm. And at 61, I feel like I'm doing great. You know, I've, uh, my energy is better. My sleep is better. Anxiety is gone. I had bursitis in my shoulder that went away. Um, so it's been it's been very dramatic for me, even though it was more of the moving from a plant-based diet to a whole food plant-based diet. So even that um, made a huge difference for me from a health perspective. Well, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sorry that it was such a, a traumatic experience that you know helped get you all the way to where you are today. Um, but I think that you are to be commended for the way that you have handled it. So many people would just curl up in a ball and, you know, wait for life to pass them by. But instead, not only did you attempt to improve your own health, which you have successfully, but now through the restaurant, you're doing the same for countless others. Yeah, so it's it's been a blessing to be in a position to extend the opportunity of education to other people so they can um, – avoid going through, you know, what what t- Tony and my family went through with that. Let's talk a little bit about this restaurant. Uh, you, you mentioned that it is an educational restaurant, yes. and certainly if you walk in there, um, I've had the, uh, you know, wonderful opportunity to record a, a podcast out there and, and do a speaking engagement, and it is a library in there. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, it's like food and knowledge. That's the best way that I can describe right. it. What what was the vision for that? Because so many people are like, oh, well, I, I love plant-based foods. I believe in, you know, how it can really improve your health. But you open a restaurant and it's it's that. You serve the food. That's wonderful. But you really took this a step further. What was the genesis there? So after I watched Forks Over Knives, it sort of spurred me into the education myself. And I had time and opportunity to... Uh, go through McDougal's, um, John Mc, Dr. John McDougal's wellness clinic. Um, I visited True North out in uh, Santa Rosa as a healthy, healthy patient. Um, I went through the uh, Food for Life instruction with uh, PCRM, and it was really gaining knowledge to put me in a position. And I ended up reaching out to Colin Campbell. This is probably four and a half years ago, four and a half, five years ago and asked for a half hour of his time and basically made the offer to help promote um, his Center for Nutritional Studies at Cornell um, through my experience and contacts in the, the government, the community, and sort of my passion for making change. And uh, Colin not only gave me half an hour of his time, he gave me a couple hours of his time and um, mentioned that his son Nelson Campbell was working on a film called Plant Pure Nation down in South Carolina where they were doing these jumpstart diets. Mm. And so the jumpstart was a 10-day activity where they would take uh, local people from Mebane, North Carolina, and they'd change their diet. They had a nurse that would do blood testing before and after. So I helped sponsor the film um, to get that finished. And at the same time, 
uh, asked Colin and Nelson to support one of these jump starts in Reston, mm-hmm. um, which we did. And I recruited 45 people to change their diets. So a lot of past work associates, a couple CEOs of uh, companies, um, uh, people from the intelligence community, some neighbors, some relatives. Um, and I hired a nurse. I found a space. We showed Forks Over Knives film. Colin Campbell came down and did a Q&A. And Nelson brought up food, frozen food, that was whole food plant-based. And so the nurse did one whole day where she took people's blood at the beginning and one whole day at the end. And in just 10 days, we would see a 20 to 30% uh, drop, 20% average uh, drop in cholesterol. Wow. And so that is enough for most people to consider getting off medication. And we measured blood pressure, and blood pressure normalized in about 10 days. Right. Um, And I started getting letters from people um, maybe a month, a couple weeks after that, where they'd drop off a bottle of wine or write me a letter saying, (laughs) this 10-day thing changed my life. And so this was in February of 2015, and I started thinking, this is important. Um, you know, this is a life-changing. It's really enabling a competitive advantage to people that take it, uh, take action on this this knowledge. It, it it can change lives. And so I met Pericles Silva mm-hmm. at the time, who was a um, employee at Whole Foods. He started and ran the Health Starts Here program. He's a sports nutritionist, so he'd been doing this for decades. And I said. What if we open a restaurant with the purpose of delivering? Um, and we ended up uh, looking at the 21-day kickstart that PCRM offers uh, because it's a longer program and it's a more uh, rigid uh, educational structure. Um, and you can do this class online for free with at PCRM.org, uh, or you can come to Green Fair and take um, take classes. So um, we found space. Uh, I signed a lease in September. We opened in November, and we did our first kickstart in December of 2015. So in three and a half years now, we've had over 700 people have gone through this, and maybe three dozen doctors, which has been very cool. Yeah. Um, Here's what I, I, I really, truly admire about you. I've never told you this, but I, I've, I've been thinking it since the day that I met you. There are people in this world who have these grand plans. They they have these dreams that they want to attain, but they never act on them. Call it fear, call it lack of confidence, call it whatever you will. For whatever reason, they just can't seem to get the ball rolling with it. You are a heavy hitter. You want to do this thing, and you go right to the top of the plant-based community. You reached out to T. Colin Campbell. Amazing. I I mean, he is like among the top 10 vegans out there, without question, right? And this is you just getting going. Right. I was a nobody in that space. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you had a goal. You wanted to go get it. Where does this confidence come from? Because you were a successful entrepreneur, obviously, long before Green Fair as well. But then you come out of the, you know, the, the gate just swinging here when you went plant-based. Yeah, I think it comes from a feeling of knowing that something needs to change and how do I make it happen? And so one of the things that I've been very fortunate is usually surrounding myself with very talented people or people that have 
and, and sort of back to your point earlier, everyone has a story, everyone has capabilities. And if you can share a vision and direct people toward that vision and give responsibility, then amazing things start to happen. So I, I think, you know, for me, it's, and I also am a, a strong believer in synchronicity, mm-hmm. that this was something that I was meant to do, you know, with the, I think the death of uh, Tony is sort of an awakening, uh, you know, to the association of food and disease. And the time when that happened, it was almost like th- a path was laid out for me that this was something I couldn't not do. Yeah. And so, you know, every time something would happen, you know, Colin Campbell, and for every one person that has agreed to take my call like Colin, I've probably called another 10 that haven't. So it's sort of the patience and persistence, too, right. that, uh, you know, it's um, knowing where something needs to go and not taking no right. as a means to stop. It's just finding another path to get there. Yeah, And that's something still to this day that even I will struggle with. It's like I will tell myself that no is just a two-letter word, and it's literally the worst thing that you can possibly hear, but how bad is it? It's just a no. You move right. around that no, and you keep going until you get a yes. Right. But it's such a it's such a roadblock for so many people. And I see people like you, and I see people like my wife who just say, I'm not taking no. Right. You're not going to return my call. I'm going to keep calling until you do, until right. I get that yes. Right. That is a rare quality. And I think that the confidence that you gain uh, just by, I mean, not taking those is, is just ridiculous. Is that something that you've had your entire life? Like, were you always kind of, I guess, you have to, yeah, stubborn. <laughs> you definitely have to be stubborn. Uh, I'm the oldest of four. And I think that always, you know, there's competition with my brothers. Uh, so I think... Uh, growing up as a, as an engineer too, you know my degree is electrical engineering, and as an engineer, you always view something as a problem that you just need to figure out, and there's always a path to a solution. You just have to be creative enough to find it. And so, whether it's me figuring out on my own or talking with people about the problem that I'm experiencing and gaining help from other people along the way. You know, Pericles Silva, if I hadn't met him, the restaurant would have happened. Uh, my boyfriend at, at uh, the, that introduced me to Forks Over Knives, Keith Black, happened to be a realtor, and he found the space. Uh, you know, and, and Colin Campbell and then Neil Barnard, uh, you know, taking time with me. Uh, I met him, I think, through Nelson Campbell and uh, sort of, you know, each time I met with people, and it's not trying to push my agenda ahead, but trying to help uh, understand what their goals were and help them be successful in their organizations. So certainly with PCRM, I've or- I admired that organization f- for, for decades and sort of watched the, the amazing progress that they've had in animal rights in different areas. And so the opportunity to support their agenda and make it health-centered for people, which I believe um, is the biggest incentive for people to stay with the lifestyle when they feel better and look better, and people are asking them, what are you doing that's different? Right. Then it, it's a impetus for people to stay. Now, the restaurant has been open for how long now? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And you've been doing the 21-day kickstart since day one? Since every month, we have usually uh, somewhere from 15 to 20 people go through the program. 
the the cool thing was maybe three months ago I had three doctors in the class. Get out of town. And the the doctors um, came in because they'd had patients that had come back after going through the kickstart and mm-hmm. were asking to be taken off medication and. The doctor's like, well, you know, what were you doing? And they tell them about. And so it's easy to maybe uh, dismiss one or two, but when you've seen three or four patients that have had this experience, then the doctors wanted to understand themselves. All right, so let me stop you right there. People come in. They they go through the kickstart. They see, uh, I mean, just incredible results. They go to the doctor. The doctor's like, what in the world is happening? They tell the doctor about your program, about the 21-day Kickstart at Green Fair, and the doctors get so curious that they themselves decide to come check it out. They do. So most doctors have maybe taken one class in nutritional education, and they're still um, diagnosing symptoms mm-hmm. rather and, and treating symptoms rather than treating and healing uh, using the underlying root cause. So one of the analogies that I've sort of come up with is that if you... Um, were to take your car to an auto mechanic and say the engine has a noise in it and the mechanic gave you earplugs, it would make you sort of doubt um, their, their capability. And today when doctors give prescription medications for high blood pressure or cholesterol, they're not treating what caused these symptoms. Um, and they're all, they're all actually related. I mean, one of the things that I've sort of discovered is that when your body is in a state of inflammation, it, you get indicators from your body that signify that something's wrong mm-hmm. and that you need to change um, an underlying cause. I, I wrote a paper called Hives and Heart Disease. If you've ever had hives and you, uh, you, you know that if you eat something, your body erupts in hives, you attribute that really quickly to a food that you ate. Right. Um, occasionally, it could be an environmental thing, but you know that something that you did caused this attribute mm-hmm. to be exhibited in your body in some manner, um, usually where you want to rip your skin off. Oh, my gosh. Twice and in my life. Twice, twice in my life. Okay. And what, what was the uh, cause for you? I, I, I mean, I can only assume that it was a overabundance of fast food. Um, okay. I mean, that's something really all, all that I can okay. really trace it back to. I have not had that problem since I lost the weight you know, knock on wood. So clearly I haven't had fast food in many years. Okay. But, um, I, I mean, head to toe. I mean, yeah. from my scalp to my toes, it was unbelievably. Terrible. And yeah. it, it it happened both times in the middle of winter. And I remember going out to my car, getting in, rolling down all of the windows and driving around because the cold air was like one of the only right. things that would help soothe me. So there I was like turning blue so my hives would go right. away. Right. No fun. So Benadryl helps. It did. <laughs> but the underlying um, uh, takeaway is don't eat that food anymore Amen. because that's what that's what caused it. And so taking the pill makes the symptoms or the attributes go away. So the challenge with heart disease is that it takes decades for something like that to actually exhibit itself. Yes. So blood pressure may go up, cholesterol may go up, but you don't, uh, these are sort of indicators that something's wrong, that your body is giving you signs Mm -hmm. that if you pay attention will um, give you the opportunity to make change before you have an incident or some chronically uh, diagnosed disease. And it exhibits in a lot of different ways. So kind of the cool thing that I've had the opportunity firsthand to watch is in the restaurant, 
the rapid change in improvement that people see from mm-hmm. um, uh, going through the Kickstart program. So in the program, we do the um, classes. So we do live classes so people get to hear other people's questions, and they get food for 21 days from us, so lunch and dinner. And it's organic, so it's without all the pesticides that yeah. people um, and synthetic fertilizers. Uh, it's um, plant-based. It's whole plant-based, and then without added salt, oil, and sugar. So it's about um, as much food as medicine as you can possibly get to. It's it's about as pristine as you could cook if you were going to ideally cook at home. You, yeah, I mean, it, it really is just jumping right off the deep end. There's no tiptoeing in those waters right. on this program. It's like, right. boom, there you are. Right. I mean, you're, you're going for the Cadillac of plant-based right. diet. Absolutely. It, and and I got to tell you, the food, I'm biased. Obviously, you're sitting across the table. I consider right. you a friend. But I will say two things on your menu are just about the greatest thing that has ever been put on this earth. Uh, your chili is okay. fantastic and your I think the Thai quinoa bowl okay. is like that's I mean that's favorites. just all universe like okay. they, they need to just create a whole other category of awards specifically for this and it would include the whole universe and that quinoa bowl would still come out on top right. so yeah, good thank you so good the spinach and sweet potato lasagna is still our best seller is it now and my favorite is the black bean enchilada Ooh. black bean and sweet potato enchilada so um it, the interesting um, thing is that all of the recipes from our restaurant come from cookbooks that we sell there, and then we try to improve them to make them more restaurant-worthy. Right, right. But we protect the integrity of the reason that these recipes were created, which is to help people move to health. Mm. Um, and if you think about doctors not being trained in education, most chefs and restaurants are not as, as well. They're trained usually in food presentation and uh, cooking techniques and how to make something very tasty to people. So not that our food isn't tasty, but usually through salt, sugar, and fat and um, high caloric dense foods with uh, oil-based or animal products, um, people get used to eating very caloric dense foods. Oh, yes. And the, window, the window diet, you know, yeah. where people are getting their uh, their diet from drive through windows um, you, you know it's something that we can really help reverse the uh, indicators that have been um, driven through that type of behavior well, let's talk about some of those transitions we'll, we'll talk about the weight loss success and the medical success behind it in, in just a second but you know so many times you know I've talked on this show about the power of food addiction. That was mm-hmm. my problem. I mean, right. I could not go a day without Taco Bell lest I become a just raging monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a little bit of time for my taste buds to change. If somebody comes in and starts your program, 21 days, how long until they start to see those evolutions start to occur with their own palate? Right. So willpower is, is sort of short in duration. Yes, you know, Most indeed. people can do something for a couple of days that's different. Um, what we try to do is get them to a point over uh, usually three to five days where they're starting to feel better and notice the positive effects, and then that's the momentum that keeps them going. So usually by the first week, the end of the first week, most of the base levels of food addiction have sort of been people notice that their cravings have stopped for certain foods, and they're starting to notice that they're full before they finished 
uh, the entire meal. Um, and so the whole aspect around um, the difference between pleasure and addiction is, you know, addictions are things that you do that harm your health yeah. or your relationships or your finances. And what we try to do is get people to pleasure relationship with food where it brings joy in their life. It's, it tastes good. It feels good. It gives them energy. So it's helping people to understand the distinction between those two things, which is usually choice. If you're driving uh, to the grocery store at night to buy something you know you shouldn't that's going to harm your health that you'll regret the next mm -hmm. day, that's, that's an addiction. But mm -hmm. if you're getting something that makes you feel good, that reinforces all the positive things, then that is a pleasure relationship. I think an important thing that we should also mention is the portions, you guys don't skimp on them. I mean, mm -hmm. I have felt that. I mean, it's like I felt these meals. They're prepackaged, and, and I mean, they're right there for you, and they are heavy. It's like you pick it up, and your arm drops. Right. You know, that's how heavy they are. Like right. you do not go hungry, and I think that that's really an important thing. We mm -hmm. just did a show um, a couple weeks ago. I had Dr. Nipor on, and we were talking about. Uh, he brought in a chart that showed, you know, how full a stomach gets with 500 calories of various types of food. And it mm -hmm. starts on the low end with oils, which, you know, like maybe a thumb full of oil. Mm -hmm. And then on the opposite end, you have produce, you know, right. your greens and your vegetables and, and your fruits. And like, I mean, that's like overflowing with abundance in the stomach. Right. And your food definitely is, is closer yeah. to that, that <laughs> end of the spectrum. Yeah, it's we use the uh, Barbara Rolls showed that. Um, most people will eat a pound of food, so it doesn't matter whether it's a pound of broccoli or a pound of uh, oil, uh, that most people will eat a pound before they're feeling satiated. Mm -hmm. So what we do is use the fiber and water concept where you're getting fiber to keep food in your stomach longer. So uh, if we can get people to the point where you're pushing away from the table saying, I, I'm satiated, I can't eat anymore, then they're going to stop eating. And so if you can give people um, high nutritional density and high fiber content, then people will be, be satiated and not driven by um, the lack of um, volume in their stomach that sure. keeps people going. Sure. Uh, and that has to be a pleasant surprise for people who begin this journey because I'm sure, you know, a great number of them have tried other quote-unquote diets before where they get the prepackaged foods that they heat up in the microwave and, you know, it's like half the size of the palm of their hand and they're like, where's the rest? Right. And I think that anytime somebody's trying to get healthy but they're hungry at the same time, that right. is a recipe for disaster. Right. Setting and yourself up to fail. Um, I want to ask you real quick uh, before we talk about Fairfax Veg Fest. You you are just mm -hmm. all over the place. I love it. Uh, some of the successes that you've seen, we, we've talked a little bit here and there, but uh, talk to me about some of the bigger successes that you've seen, people who have gone through the program. Sure. So I think one of the things that surprised me early was things that people sort of take for granted as part of aging. So uh, aches and pains, for example, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, one of my girlfriends was uh, on four medications, strong medications for red, swollen uh, fingers. And she went through the 10-day uh, kickstart. Mm -hmm. And even in 10 days, um, her uh, pain went away and subsided to the point where she was able to go off three of the medications mm. in just 10 days and a couple months later, the fourth. And so something like that is a disease that most doctors 
Um, I've had another friend whose wife has had multiple surgeries on her shoulders and her hands for the same disease. And so you can see a path where you go in under the surgeon's knife or you go in uh, with black bean enchiladas and sweet potato lasagna and you eat your way to good health. Um, so there's sort of clearly two different paths that people can uh, can choose, and one being sort of expensive and uh, sort of uh, physically devastating versus another really healing and regen- regenerative. And so, uh, you know, for me, the quickness of this has been um, continually surprising. Things like Crohn's disease, another lady... Um, came into our Kickstart class and asked if she could uh, share her story uh, to our our new group of uh, Kickstarters. And she is a professor at George Mason University, and she shared that she was a reluctant participant in Kickstart. Her boyfriend signed her up, and uh, they went through two and a half years ago, and she had been a sufferer of uh, Crohn's disease and autoimmune disease, you know, where a lot of times they'll take out a colon or or yards of intestine Mm. around infected, inflamed parts, and always major food digestive issues. And after the kickstart, she had no more incidents with Crohn's, so two and a half years. And so she not only talked to our Kickstarters, but she talks to anyone who has Crohn's disease now that comes in uh, our restaurant to explore the impacts of Crohn's and plant-based nutrition. So we've shared her name with maybe half a dozen people. So it's finding people like that that are, uh, we have a group of people called our ambassadors that uh, go to to shows and they talk about their personal experience. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the cool thing is people, when they, uh, their friends notice that they're different they're curious about it. Yeah. And so it's not being a um, irritating vegan and promoting animal welfare. It's like when you go from a perspective of a beacon of light with yourself, then people become curious and want to emulate that path. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Um, before we go, uh, let's talk about VegFest. Sure. I mean, like I said, you're, you're just all over the place. I mean, yeah. you have your hand in so many vegan cookie jars, it's not even funny. <laughs> um, Fairfax VegFest is coming up Saturday, April 14th. In Herndon. In uh-huh. Herndon. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's on the docket this year? So uh, Compassion Over Killing does one in D.C. in the fall, and we des- I decided with uh, Mike Young, who has a nonprofit, to organize the Fairfax VegFest. Mm-hmm. It's April 14th. Uh, we've got something like 60-plus vendors, uh, and we've got an amazing lineup of speakers. Uh, T. Colin Campbell's going to uh, speak, Dr. Neil Barnard uh, from PCRM, uh, from the movie, the game, upcoming movie, The Game Changers, uh, Dr. Jim Loomis, who's a sports doctor, um, Damian Mander, uh, Lee Crosby, a nutritionist from PCRM, know will be talking well. about she, the... She's on this show all the time. <laughs> Lovely. She'll be talking about the keto uh, implications of a mm-hmm. keto diet, which is uh, very topical. Tracy McCorder uh, from The Ageless Vegan, yes. um, Erica Gray, Walking with Petey. So we've got a fantastic lineup of um, speakers. We'll have all-day cooking classes mm-hmm. and bands uh, playing all day. So it'll be family-friendly. You can bring your dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have three dog rescues there. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. 
And, you know, I'll be out there doing some interviews as and well. And you'll be there as well. That's Hopefully right. you'll be interviewing people as they uh, finish their talks. That's that's the plan. We're going to take the exam room on the road. It'll be great, That'd you know, hoping cool. for good weather. I can't wait for spring to be here. So the fact that this is outdoors, I'm, ex- I'm envisioning a glorious blue sky day, Absolutely. bright sunshine. Sunny. About 70 degrees or so. Lots of dogs, happy people, and everyone learning more about the health, environment, and uh, compassion for animals. Is that too much to ask for? <laughs> I don't think it is. Perfect day. <laughs> <laughs> FairfaxBenchFest.org is where you go for more information. Saturday, April 14th, I believe. Sunday. 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 Sunday, 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 Sunday. Sunday. If I'm going to be there, it's a good thing that I know that now. Uh, So FairfaxFetchFest.org, Sunday, April 14th, Herndon, Virginia. very cool, and uh, if people want to check out the restaurant, Green Fair Cafe, that is Green in Herndon Fair as well. Yeah. Dot com in, in Herndon, uh, 408 Eldon Street, and we've got, we're on Facebook, it's Green Fair Cafe. Outstanding. Gwen Whitaker, you are truly a remarkable human being, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being a friend like you. My hat is just off to you. And uh, thank I, you so much for the opportunity to come talk with your, um, your guests. I cannot wait for VegFest. If you're in the Herndon, Virginia area, just outside of D.C., please come by. Say hi. Would love to meet you. And please also say hi to Gwen. Say hi to Drs. Barnard and Loomis and Dr. Campbell and, and Dietitian Lee Crosby, too. All of them, friendly faces, fans and friends of the show. Please come say hi. We would love to meet you. And how about that show today? That big question. What if the entire world went vegan? What a change that would be. What were your big takeaways from our discussion? Let us know. Tweet me or the show at Chuck Carroll, WLC, or at PCRM. You can also hit us up on Instagram, again, at Chuck Carroll, WLC, or at Physicians Committee. For me, I guess the big takeaway was just how large of a role food plays in the health of the environment. Everything from greenhouse gases to water conservation and helping to even alleviate the world's hunger crisis. So incredible to me how everything is intertwined, you know? Healthier you, healthier planet, all of those are good things. If there's ever anything that you'd like for us to talk about on the show, don't be shy. Speak up. Let us know. Tweet me, at WLC, of course, or at PCRM. You can also hit us up on Instagram. We're hearing from so many of you, and thank you so much for your suggestions and your questions. You guys are amazing. Please, please, please keep them coming. And last thing before we wrap up and get out of here, if you're listening to this in your web browser and you've not already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee. It is available wherever podcasts are hosted, don't you know? That's Apple Podcast or CastBox or Stitcher or Spotify. We've got new shows, new information, new inspiration, new things to talk about each and every Wednesday. Just go ahead, subscribe, and please, when you do, leave us a five-star rating and a nice comment if you would be so kind. My thanks to Dr. Neil Barnard and Gwen Whitaker for their time today. And so for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. 